Well, first of all, um, thank you to Nicole, who's going to be helping me to navigate what I have to share with you today. Um, and, and yeah, so we started off with uh, Jesus loves me, this I know. How was that for a little bit of a step into where we come from? Everybody knew that song by the sounds of things, which is amazing. Um, old school. And today we're going to go back to a few basics. Um, for those of you who haven't uh, attended our sessions at, um, at Signal for the last few months, actually, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and a lot of you, uh, like me, who grew up in a, in a Christian kind of upbringing and went to church schools and all that type of stuff, and the reason why I chose to, for us to sing that song is that we've been exposed to a lot of the stories inside the Sermon on the Mount for our lifetimes. Um, to such an extent, which is what I found studying uh, into what I have to share for you today, that, that some of the meaning and the depth of what those stories act- actually about, we can actually become quite complacent about it and miss, miss really the power that sits inside those. So I want to go back to those basics today. And, um, and as we go back and, and take a look at a few of the verses, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is like five to, to, to um, um, chapters, uh, Matthew 5 to 9. And just to give you an idea, it's going to take our church until the end of the year just to go through that. Now, if you think that's bad, um, Bridgetown Church, which is where some of our references are that, that kind of guided and inspired us to do this, took them four years to go through the whole of the book of Matthew. Now, I don't know how you feel, but going to look at one book for entire four years could be, could be quite challenging. Well, I'm not going to place you in four years, uh, four years of, of, of study here today. What I do want to... President, thank you. Yeah, no, he, Brendan did say that if, if that was what was going on, he would have left the church and come back in three years' time. And we really like him. Brendan is a, a class member of the society. We don't want that to happen. So... So I think the first thing that I want to do, just in welcoming everybody, as I said earlier, is welcome to spring. Um, uh, what, a, what a fantastic time to be in. I'm glad that we get a little bit of sun in amidst the tempest this morning. Um, and, and I don't know about you, but I wait for spring. I'm not a winter person. I do not like being cold. I like being hot. Um, and you too, eh? Yeah. And, um, and, and the amazing thing about spring that I've noticed is, is where things start to just come to life. One of, the, one of almost the um, uh, pilgrimages that we as a family make, and I need to welcome some of my family that are here today. Um, excellent. <laughs> is, is that we take a drive out to see the flowers uh, on the West Coast. And it's just amazing. I mean, the times that I go there, I really do feel like that is like bathing in God's presence, you know, and, 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 and the creation that he gives us to remind us that we have an opportunity for new life, not just every year. Uh, but every day, um, and, and, and I want to share some of that with you. The other, the other thing that I want to also mention is that uh, one of our um, community members, Dave, sent, sent a beautiful message, um, and for those of you that haven't been part of Signal the last few weeks as have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen an incredible amount of uh, prophetic words, um, healings, um, and, and, and he just saw this as a start of a type of hope and regeneration. For this community and we want to create that type of space at the end of what I'm going to share with you today to just allow for that that if any part of what I'm going to share with you touches you if you feel the Lord speaking to you through through what I'm about to share with you that we will be making that space as well okay so moving on the other thing that comes with spring as you may have noticed 
I don't know how many of you have Prime Video or watched anything on YouTube lately, but you get um, absolutely barraged by the fact that there's new Lord of the Rings stuff going on. Has any of you watched it this past week? Oh yes, there's been one or two. And for those of, for those of you that have been watching it, you will know also from the Lord of the Rings story that it's a big story about light and darkness and what it means to make sense of these two things. And I think that we can all speak to that and we're going to look at parts of that in the scriptures that we're going to go through today. Um, and, and there's one saying that uh, Galadriel's brother has with him. I don't know if you recall this for those of you that watched it. And if you haven't watched it, it's amazing. It's way better than Game of Thrones and a lot more savory okay? <laughs> uh, for all kinds of reasons, which we don't need to get into. Um, <clears throat> so, so, yeah, what, what he says to his sister is in order to understand the light, you've got to be able to, to, to sometimes experience the darkness. And that's the encouragement, the starting encouragement I want to give to you today. Is that life is not all about light. We have to deal with our darkness. And so that's what I want to share with you. Let's, let's take a look at uh, the passages that, um, that I'm going to go through with you today. If you've got your Bibles, um, or you've got a device, or if you can just look up at the screen. Thank you, mate. Um, you'll notice that um, what I'm going to be speaking through today are three short passages but in reality, books have been written on each one of these passages alone. Okay? And I'm going to try and tie these together in the time that I have. And I hope to not take up too much of your time. But let's, 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 let's read this together. So, Matthew 6, 22 to 25. Um, that body, mind, and soul is not a heading you'll find in the ESV or the NIV. I made that up, okay, just so everybody's aware. But I do think it speaks to those three things. And, and kind of like, you know, the Lord of the Rings, you know, what are the rings of power that sit in our lives? And I believe that, that this, these are Jesus' words, giving us insight into the power that can guide our lives. Okay, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness. If then the light is within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? I'm sure we've We've all read and reflected on those words before. Now, before I go eat in, in, into each one of those sections of those passages, I want to give you a little bit of context around when Jesus was saying this, which I think really highlights the power of, of, of his message um, and also gives us insight to him as a person, but also gives us insight into him as God on earth who came for us. So in that context, it was first century Judea, and, and that particular area was under the, a, a king called Herod, who ultimately was placed there, supported there, by what was a Roman occupation. And I think this is something certainly that I didn't appreciate, and all the beautiful songs and stories about the Bible and what Jesus said and the amazing things that he did is the context in which he, which he actually existed. That area of the world was under Roman occupation, a military regime, for more than 70 years by the time, Joseph, uh, by the time Jesus uh, arrived. 
And, and in that time, just before the passages that I, that I mentioned to you, Jesus is tested in the wilderness. And thereafter, he launches his mission and his message. And, and he launches his mission and his message by doing what? He starts calling his disciples. And he calls his disciples with three words. Come, follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but if some guy walked into this room and said, Come, follow me, how would you feel? Would you believe them? Would you follow them? And it's quite, just to think about what that man must have been like. And I think he gives us some insight into, into exactly the man he was like as we go into this. Then he, he starts healing the sick and crowds start to gather. As soon as he starts to demonstrate this power that he has, suddenly he starts to gather this following. And that leads to him taking a position on a, on a place, a raised place, where the Sermon on the Mount happens. And in what he says during the Sermon on the Mount is some radical things, radical things, including that he is the fulfillment of the law. Now bear in mind that although we have Lord of the Rings and you know, um, um, you know, uh, Game of Thrones and, and all kinds of media, YouTube, Twitter, etc. The media that, that these people had at that time was the teachings, was the Hebrew teachings. And for somebody to come across and say they are the fulfillment of the law would have created incredible hope for some. But it would have been incredibly threatening for others. Particularly as he starts walking around a lake. That's what he did. He got up, lived in a fairly ordinary place called Capernaum, and started walking around a lake and started calling out to the fishermen, come and follow me, and suddenly these people up and just left and started following him. Can you imagine what that must have created in the hearts and minds of the rulers of that time? And what was he doing? Was it by force? That's, what, that, 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 that's where things start to get interesting. And so in, in preparing for today's session, I read through a couple of commentaries around this, um, John Stott talks about that, that what these passages are about, the ones that I've just read through, are not about material security. They're about God's rule, God's rule in our lives, and how we can use that as our power in being able to reach the world and to fulfill our purposes. Secondly, for Carson, it's about giving perspective of this thing called the kingdom, the kingdom, and confronting the world, the other type of kingdom. And for Richard Raw, he considers what Jesus communicated through the Sermon on the Mount a whole new world order, a way of living that had never, ever been conceived of before. There are a couple of other references that I, that I had for today's message um, to Mackie and John Mark Coleman, Artie Kendall, and, and you may see some of these come through. But in the context of what I wanted to share with you today, Jesus' mission and, me and message, before he started calling people to come and follow him, started with this statement. And I'm sure you've seen this statement many times. It's actually used to, to, to create almost a derogatory perspective of human faith and evangelism, where you get this guy on the corner of a street side saying, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Yeah. And I think that's because the word repent, repent is misunderstood. And that's what I want to be able to share with you today as one of the things that certainly struck me is that repent, certainly in the way that I've understood it up until now, has been something around conviction and condemnation, that repentance is about penance, it's about confession. 
Now, there could be aspects of that. They could be an expression. But that's not the word that it comes from. In the Greek and the Aramaic, the words that were actually taken down in the Bible before they were translated, the word is metanoia. Metanoia. Which means change your mind. Stop. Return. Change your mind. And just think about that. If you change those words to change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Does that change anything for you? Change your mind. Return. What are we returning to? We're returning to the truth of who we are, who created us, and what he created us for. And he talks about it straight afterwards because he calls it the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm sure we've heard this term once again, a thousand times before. What is the kingdom of heaven? Remember the first image that God gave us, it's in the first page of the Bible, it is the Eden story, right? Where the creator God gives us a paradise in order to live and breathe and be in union with him. Versus the kingdoms that we're accustomed to, the kingdoms of men. And this idea of the kingdom of heaven was told through the old fathers and communicated through the prophets. But who are the rulers in the kingdom? Is it God alone? If you go back to the Eden story and you read the Old Testament, what God is trying to communicate to his people, what I believe he's communicating to us, is we are co-rulers of that kingdom. We are co-rulers of his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. But what does that mean? What does that mean for us to rule? Does it mean force? Does it mean um, persuasion? Does it mean persecution? Is the kingdom inside you, perhaps? Read, read what Paul says about Christ being inside us. What Jesus says over here is that the kingdom of heaven is near. Another way that it's described is the kingdom of heaven is amongst us in Luke. Amongst us. So what does that tell us? What it tells me is that the kingdom of heaven is amongst us. And what Jesus was talking about when he said the kingdom of heaven is near, remember he just arrived. He lived and then he died for us. And what were we left with? The kingdom of heaven being where? Here. Here amongst us. So, when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, he not only said it, he went out and showed it. As a next step from the Sermon on the Mount, if you read on, he healed people. He went around healing people. He went around connecting with those that were the least, not the greatest. He shared his power. He shared that kingdom. He demonstrated what God has been wanting to do with us since the creation story, sharing the creation. To what extent have we been good stewards in sharing, co-ruling with him? That for me was quite a Quite a commanding thing, you know. So if if the if the kingdom of heaven is near, so so how is this possible? And just looking through 
the things that I read through the, uh, as, as I went through this. What are the features of this kingdom? I needed to answer this question for me. Maybe, maybe some of the answers that I, at least I got to might be helpful for you as well. But, but, but these are how I've categorized it. It seems that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of character. If you read what is in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at, look at the Beatitudes, it's about the poor, about those that mourn, the meek, those who hunger for God, those who are merciful, those who are pure of heart, and those who are peacemakers. It is influence and example that sets us apart. Salt and light. Dave spoke about the salt in the water that healed those waters. Elisha put salt in the water. And how do we do this? It's through being established on the rock. It's a kingdom of accountability. We don't just live in a world where there aren't difficult things that we need to deal with and, and confront and get over and to communicate to other people. It's a kingdom of forgiveness and generosity. It's a kingdom of healing, of calm, and of rest. How many of you managed to go through a week being able to fulfill all of these? I don't. Definitely not. But here's the other thing which I think is quite amazing about this kingdom. Is that it's a kingdom of choice. Not force. Other kingdoms force you to do things. Have you ever tried to get onto an airplane lately? You're forced to identify yourself. You're forced to... To make sure that you've got all your documents in place. If you want to go to another country, there's other kingdoms that you... What do you need for the kingdom of heaven? It's just a choice. Is this helpful? So let's have a look at each one of these sections. I'm going to keep an eye on the time. So part one, as I said, I'm going to break it into three parts. The first was about the lamp and the eye. And I believe that this speaks to us about light or darkness, or the combination of both, in fact. I don't think it's dualistic. I don't think it's light or darkness. We all deal with our darkness. But how great is it? What is the good news? The good news is that we have light. And that light is the light from our Creator. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And if we look at the idea of light, both from a scientific perspective and from a scripture perspective, I just want to draw some parallels to this that I find absolutely fascinating and probably one of the most significant affirmations that God is alive. And not only is alive in the heavens, but is alive here on earth and is alive in each one of us. Okay. So if we go back to the first verses of the Bible, you'll remember they, these are the words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. He said, let there be light. That's all he had to do. He just said it. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Did God create the light and the darkness, or just the light? 
And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, if you look at that passage underneath it, I'm sure some of you already read it. But if you look at how, how light is created scientifically, scientifically, how do you create light? Fusion, it's created through fusion, with the interaction that powers the sun, producing the light and energy that makes life possible. When two atoms are heated and compressed so intensely that their nuclei merge into a new element, this process obviously leads to the creation of a photon, the particles of light that are released from the sun. How is that different to what was in Genesis 1 when people did not know anything about the extent of the physics we understand today? I don't know how many astrophysicists there are in the, in, in the room today, but I took a lot of time enjoying reading all this stuff and saying, hang on a second, these guys haven't got this stuff figured out yet. And the more they figure out, the more realize, well, hang on a second, this, this beginning where the earth was out, form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, hmm, there's quite a lot that's, that resonates there. Now, the point that I wanted to make out of this, about the, the light and darkness, um, is if you can just go to that next picture, Nick. I don't know how many of you have seen, you can't really see it clearly, but have you seen these pictures from the James Webb Telescope lately that have been taking place? Okay. So this picture over here, it's not a disco ball, or what, what happens in one of our nightclubs on a Wednesday, depending on the nightclub. <laughs> but, um, but this is a picture of galaxies, galaxies in the universe, galaxies in the universe. And scientists say that they've been able to calculate that at the very least, they can see, because of how all these galaxies, the shape and size and everything that they are, they've been able to see light from 13.6 billion years ago, thanks to this telescope. 13.6 billion years ago. Now what's astonishing is out of all of that light, that absolute aroma, we sit in this beautiful place enjoying, enjoying a sun that, that, that we can sit comfortably in and that we can try and find our purposes in and to live the lives that He has provided and guided us for. So the big question is, what, is, what shines out from you? If we look at this text, the lamp, the eye, and the body, the whole idea of the eye is to perceive and radiate light. Now, the reason why myself, why I dragged my family to Signal Church the first time was because I came across one of these humans that emitted this type of light. His name's Richard Martin. He's not here today, but I worked with him. And we were going to another church for a bit, and we weren't, you know, we were just kind of in a transition stage. There was nothing hectic about why we wanted to move. But I saw light in this man. And I said, you go to church, don't you, man? He's like, yeah, I do. I said, which one is it? He said, Signal. I said, can, I, can we come along? And suddenly we were in the company of the light we wanted to be a part of. The light that we wanted to be able to shine as well. I don't know how that works for you. But when it comes to the people that have made a difference in my life, it's been through their example. It's because of what they do, not what they say. So it's the same for you? How many times can we talk about the shine, like the light that shines and radiates through us? When we talk about healthy eyes, what does that look like? Well, then the references, looking at the actual way in which those words are constructed in the original text, it speaks to being good, 
being generous, to have a selfless heart as opposed to unhealthy eyes that are evil and stingy. And if you want to take a look at another reference, Proverbs 28 talks about that. That a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know the poverty that will come to him. Pretty, pretty damning, damning words. But let's have a look at the perceive and radiate light. And actually, we took a look at this. There have been two theories about the way that, that humans perceive light. It's either through extramission or intromission, whether the light is coming in or going out. In the old days, people thought that we saw because our eyes emitted light. And if they, didn't, they hadn't come to the realization that it's actually the way that our eyes process light through the components that we have in our eyes that make that possible. But, but the question is, what do you value and what shines through you? Is the light shining out of you? And to what extent are you able to see the light in others? What type of eyes do we need? What type of eyes do we need? Is it a, is it a decision to see good? But more importantly, is it not one of our roles as co-rulers in the kingdom of heaven to actually see need? And respond to those needs as well. How often do we appreciate what we have instead of not appreciating, or instead of not appreciating what we don't have? Moving on to the second part, who is the master of our soul? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You've heard that. Often, haven't we? So who are the masters? God and money. In the Bible it talks about mammon, which is a deity related to wealth. But what about time? What about time? Could one of those masters be our time? If you think about money, what is money? It's a currency related to your time. Think about it. People pay you for your labor. You get a salary. The reason why you earn a salary or you get paid for certain things, it's a translation of time. So how often do we translate what we serve as the amount of time we give those things? Is this helpful? Yes. Okay, cool. We are more than halfway through your week tonight. Okay. So... Here's a picture. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to, to um, go to this place and to, and to see this place. But this is La Sagrada Familia, the, the, um, the sacred family. We're, we're in Barcelona. This, um, this cathedral has been being built for more than 100 years. It got started in 1862, which means wow. that what is the maths of that? Like 160 years they've been building this thing. It's amazing. <clears throat> It is really beautiful inside, I grant you that. And, and what it does is it venerates the, the, you know, the, um, the, um, um, Jesus, Mary, the Gospels, the various Apostles. And people come from all over the world to go and see it. They pay. They pay to go and see that. But we have our own 12 Apostles, everyone. In our backyard. And they have already been created for, for thousands, millions of years. How often do we look? If we can get to that picture, please. How often do we look at just the place that we have been placed? 
and see this as our cathedral. Where do we place our cathedrals? Where do we place our destinations that we, that we want to get to? What are the things that we give our time and money to? So some of the questions around this particular passage, I believe, is what rules your soul? So I think this is what Jesus was talking to us about. If we want to be co-rulers in the kingdom of heaven, we've got to make sure that we are clear about who rules our soul. Who are our masters? And what are we dedicated to? And I think two of the sort of key performance indicators of that are what do we give our attention and our time to? What do we give our attention and time to? If you were to draw up just like a schedule and say, right, look at your week. What are we giving our attention and our time to? Now, this doesn't mean we need to like get into sackcloth and ashes and, and it's not that. It's about what our orientation is. Who rules our soul? Remember, we're co-ruling with Him. And have you thought about that attention and time, about being really invested into trying to find what is the purpose He has for you in that kingdom, in His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, who has He asked you to be? Recently, my family and I, we went away on a trip to, to go and assess whether or not, um, you know, what overseas looked like. How many of you have thought about that, done that, tried that, had people who are doing that? We went to a few places and then, and then we came home to, to this beautiful place and realized it actually doesn't matter where we are. Where we need to be is where we are right now. That's where we need to be because the kingdom of heaven is here. And wherever we go, we should be taking that kingdom with us. Why? Because if we have the right ruler of our soul, we go with him. And we take him with us into every single conversation, every single relationship, every single place. We end up being him. It's not going to get better if we think that the other side of the world he's created is where he wants us to be. But if, however... He has said, go there, come, follow me too, wherever that might be, a different story. And the reality is that for our family, we, we haven't heard those words. There's more things saying, you're staying right here, guys. I've got plans for you. Okay, part three, final part. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about what your body or what you will wear is life more than food and body, more than clothes. What is this speaking to? It's speaking to anxiety. And if we go back to what, we were, what I was sharing earlier about metanoia, changing your mind. Have you ever thought about what the parallel of that is, which I'm sure a lot of the word, and we've heard this word many times, is paranoia. Paranoia, in the Greek definition of that word, means... Distracted mind, as you can read. Distracted mind, being muddled. Not sure. Not sure. Now, if we need to change our mind, and we live in a place of worry, how many of us carry anxiety and worry? I do. Anybody who doesn't? Because if you don't, I'd love to know you, because you need to teach here. You need to be standing in next to Seriously. But the thing about that, the thing about anxiety and worry, is... 
linked to who and where do we place our trust? Do we believe in God's character enough that he is the creator of the universe and that you are his child, that he cares about you and wants you to fulfill your purposes for him? We had one of those classic situations with, um, with our kids the other day. We went out to a fantastic family event. One of our cousins got married, which was really beautiful. And afterwards, um, my kids figured out that we were close enough being in town to their favorite ice cream shop, which is Moro. Do you guys know that? It is. It's like heaven. It honestly is. It's like heaven. Moro ice cream. And so we stopped in Long Street and went inside, and everybody got what they wanted. And, um, and I asked one of my kids for a taste of the ice cream. And they said, don't take a taste of my ice cream, Dad. That belongs to me. And it made me think, how often, when God calls us, are we telling Him not to take our ice cream? Until we remember where the ice cream came from. <laughs> Who made the ice cream? Who bought <laughs> who bought the ice cream which I end up reminding my kids all the time they didn't get the spiritual message there'll be, there'll be time for that you know. but, uh, but, but it was like a very small and, 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 and like, like insightful story about the way that our hearts are wired like I can't call out my kid and say well you know look at our, the darkness in your heart you know? that's you know, it is what we are. How often are we prepared to give everything? Give everything. So, so like, how do we do this? You know, because worry is something that lives in our lives. And, 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 and it's been often said, and it's even on American money, which I find quite interesting, that it says, in God alone do we trust. You know? In God alone we need to trust. Why? Because our internal condition, this is what I believe these three passages are saying on what links them together, and that's why I call it body, mind, and soul, is that our internal condition is more, is more important than the external. Yeah. Because if we can't get what's going on inside our own hearts right, how are we going to be able to respond to what's on the outside? Yeah. question that Alex Rickman, one of the pastors from Bridgetown Church, asked, and this just struck me, this statement, is experience your arbiter of truth. Is experience what decides for you whether you do something or not? Uh, I couldn't uh, say no to that question. So what or who in particular shapes your worldview? And how do we do it? Now these things might sound trite, and I'm sure you've heard them a long time before, but if you think about like the depth of the basics that we need to get to, these are the things I believe we need to be reminded of. Is that we need to trust in His will and His purposes. Now what is His will? You've got to look at what the kingdom of heaven looks like. That's His will. His will is to see the whole world transformed to the kingdom that He planned right from the beginning. And that's for everyone. Not just the Christians. The Christians are meant to be the ones that shine the light to make the rest happen. Ne? So God's promises are, and we need to be reminded of that, that we are His royal children. He has called us His priests. A priesthood 
Everybody recall that from Paul? That we are his royal priesthood. Do you know what that means? Have you looked at Leviticus? Did you see what the priests had to do? When they were looking after the tabernacle, it was ugly stuff. They had to kill stuff all the time. It was blood and ugliness and all kinds of living animals that they had to sacrifice on the altars. My question to us is, are we prepared to make those sacrifices? Are we prepared to make those sacrifices as individuals and together to get there? Because what God our our Master and Father tells us is that He loves us. And that love, like it's spelt for kids, T-I-M-E, it's T-I-M-E, but it's also faith. God is faithful to us. And God sacrificed Himself. He actually had to get to the point of saying, well, clearly you didn't get the message of all the animals that you had to sacrifice. I'm coming now to show you what this takes. Because when I start telling people what this kingdom of heaven looks like, it is going to scare them so much that, they're going to, that, that, that I'm going to have to die for this. And what did he do? He didn't want to, if you remember. He said, take this cup away from me. But he went to the cross for us. So what do we need to do? Fortunately, I don't think... Hopefully, none of us will be called to crucifixion. But what we need to do, I believe, what this is calling us to do, is to seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And we know what that kingdom looks like, because the Bible tells us so. And, and that is going to take our body, mind, and soul. So I chose this picture... Because it looks like the Obama one. And the reason why I chose this picture is because I believe that Jesus was a political figure as much as he was a savior. He came into the world to show the kingdoms of men the way they managed to get this horribly wrong. And the only way to get this right was to make the kingdom personal. Personal to each one of us. He wishes to have a relationship with each one of us in a unique and special way because He has designed you in such a way to have an impact in this world, to shine for other people like He shone for so many in those days, which is why when He approached somebody on the side of a lake and said, come follow me, they just left their stuff right there and they disappeared. They left their business and off they went. So... Is everybody okay? So? Okay. We're finishing off. Okay. There's, there's three things I wanted to, as we land today, land the message today, that I wanted to, to share with you. One is a passage. If you want to go to it, please go to it because this is, you know, if you want to get a sense like this, there's, there's things that Jesus said about the kingdom or demonstrated about the kingdom of heaven. And there were many things that the prophets said about what that kingdom was going to look like. And the passage that I want to share with you is Isaiah 58, 6 to 14. And what is critically interesting about this is that that these words were noted down 800 years prior to the Sermon on the Mount. And the types of things that we are seeing today in this church, 3,000 years beyond this, 
are as real. They used to speak about them, but we are seeing them today. So this is, this is a call. I believe these are words for us as a church. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the, your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noon, the noon day. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, from the mouth of the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Really, I don't know about you, but that stuff is just such an affirmation for where we find ourselves. So I'm going to call up the, the, the band, if I may. And, and we're going to close. We're going to close um, this morning's uh, meeting with, with two things. Um, three things, in fact. One, we're going to say a prayer together, if you would be with me. And I'd like you to, just for um, wanting to get some circulation in your body more than anything else, if you can stand up. Um, now... We're going to go back to some other basics. We've been saying some, some kids' hymns. And, and, and while you're stretching your legs, and, 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 and I hope part of the reflections of today um, have, you know, whatever you're feeling about them, we want to create some space for prayer for people. Uh, if you have got um, any aspect of this that, that you would like to pray into, if there's words that have come out of these meetings, I'm going to ask and nearly to come in after we've done the prayer to just invite people to come up for prayer. Um, and, and, and we're going to sing a song after that once, we, once we've done the prayer. And I think there's a couple of other, other, other things and then yeah, we'll, we'll decide how things go and close the meeting. So this, this particular type of prayer is called Lectio Divina. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. If you're part of Catholic church or school in any way, you'll know what it is. But I'm going to say a verse which I think is up there. And then we all together say the next verse and we wait and we just let those words permeate into our minds and our bodies and our souls. God with his words spoke the universe into existence and I believe that through these words and others, that's the purpose of this type of prayer, that they can speak light 
and creativity and healing into your own hearts whenever you feel like doing that. So if we can all say together, and then we're going to stop, and then we'll say the next bit, and we're going to stop, time a little time for reflection, and, and then we'll get to the end of the prayer. Okay, so is everybody ready for praying together? So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The Lord turns his face towards you. The Lord gives you peace. Peace.